If you are like me and know that free enterprise is the greatest opportunity in the world, but you also see there are huge issues starting to arise, like why is mentorship decreasing in popularity? Why do entrepreneurs like us who love to succeed see people fail at the top and never leave true significance? And how do people like us make a lasting impact on the world? And is it possible for enough entrepreneurial leaders together to make a real difference? These are the blaring questions, and this podcast is the answer. Journey with me, your host, Christian. Together, we will challenge the status quo and conquer our legacies. Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. This is Christian D. Evans, your host. And guys, we have someone very special because obviously we we understand uh, COVID happened, right? Uh, but we're, 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 we are way past that now. And guys, I just want you to understand that there still has to be strategic ways of implementing your marketing strategy uh, to make sure that you're getting the most you know, return on investment, return on ad spend, uh, making sure that you're getting the best bang for your buck. And of course, really just driving that. Uh, in today's world, in today's market, definitely with Google and Facebook and all these different ads platforms, you can scale tremendously. And so we have an, a marketing expert. Uh, guys, he is coming from Oregon, Portland, my friends. He's the co-owner of Marketing strategy firm, The Prepared Group, where they serve as creative partners and specialize in working with marketing agencies, teaching them how to support clients with a strategy-first approach. They also the co-wrote the book, Systematic Advisor Marketing, my friend, and today the co-owner, Ken Cook. How you doing, my man? I'm doing great, Chris. It's a beautiful day here in Portland. It's uh, not raining, so what more could one ask for, you know? There we go. There we go. Hey, you know, I'm here in uh, Florida as well, right on the panhandle. And it's just so awesome to have a podcast, being able to talk with other marketing people uh, like yourself, an expert. No, before we jump into some marketing strategy and stuff like that, I'd love to really learn a little bit about kind of your your journey. I mean, um, uh, you know, going from building a marketing agency to now being able to teach other marketing agencies and yeah. so forth. What did that look like, my man? It, it's been, you know, it's going to sound crazy. It's been an accident most of the way. Um so true story, we started, I started the company about a decade ago as a marketing agency because I had a client, uh, I was working at a very large agency uh, and they were downsizing my department. Uh, so we did high dollar web dev and SEO uh, in my department and they were dissolving that because they didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and so I had a client offer me a year's salary to start my own business and uh, to, for them to be my first client kind of a thing. And so about a decade ago, that's where we started, Jim Ferrari, Long Island Wine Tours. Um, and, you know, it's been kind of a wild ride ever since. That's incredible. And, and so it was just, it wasn't like you were desiring it. It wasn't like that was one of your goals. You just no. kind of fell into it. What yeah. made you, you know, actually go full throttle with it and say, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, you know, and scale this, not just for one client to two clients, but like, you know, several yeah. clients now. Yeah. So, so my initial plan, if you, I think, I think I've got it written down somewhere is the initial plan was this, get five clients, work as their director of marketing, right? Be happy. And a year, year and a half into that, ambition struck, right? And I said, you know, what if we had more than five clients? And what if it wasn't just me? What if there was a team of people, right? And, and what if I actually built out an organization? And, and ultimately we did, uh, we had a team of 12 at, at the largest, um, full service, everything from automation to web development, copywriting, whole nine yards. Um, but it, it really, it started with ambition and uh, just having some, some really high quality mentors 
uh, a guy who spent a lot of time with me was the director of marketing for Bell Helicopters and just kind of kept pushing and pushing and pushing to never be satisfied with what you have. That's beautiful. And so kind of let me ask you, like, because you've been in the marketing industry, how long, Ken, now? About 15 years. 15? Okay. So you've seen some ups and downs. You've seen, obviously, from no Facebook to all of a sudden Facebook ads to, you know, going from Google ads and so forth. So what, um, you know, how have you seen the market change and obviously techniques not work and some strategies not work and obviously pivoting constantly? So here's how I look at things. There are tactics that worked a decade ago that still work to this day, right? If, if we were to go all the way back, we could go all the way back to, to PT Barnum even, right? And we could look at techniques that PT used to drive intrigue and interest. And many of those still work. The strategies of how to attract human attention, the strategy of this is, this is how we're going to get someone to pay attention to me. Those haven't changed. The tactics of how do I implement that, those are what's changed. And, and I think that oftentimes, in the, especially in the marketing industry, we confuse, and many, many marketers confuse, what is a tactic versus what is a strategy. And, and I hear these terms almost used interchangeably. And, and not that you're doing it here, but there's, there's a lot of guys who, who they, they don't seem to know. And, and so I think where we came from, you know, 15 years ago was the internet was pure wild west. And if you were good enough at, at hacking the system, you could make it work. Right. That doesn't exist anymore. Right. You can try to game the system, but the system is going to come back and thump you for it. Right. In a way that used to not really be the case. And, what that has led to is that has led to people narrowing the number of tactics they use because they're afraid, they're confused about how to implement and think strategically around what's this big picture and how am I trying to accomplish it, right? Because if, if you and I sat down and said, look, we need to go reach a thousand people in the next 30 days, right? You and I could think of theoretically an infinite number of ways to do that, right? I think the challenge is so many people, um, so many business owners are going to agencies and saying, well, I want X, Y, Z because my cousin Bob likes it and it's working really well for his business. That that has no bearing as to whether it's going to work for you. Could you imagine going into Coca-Cola, going into Nike, going into Intel, right? Going into any Fortune 500 company and saying, you know what? Here's what we should do. This should be our marketing strategy because it works over there, right? That would be insane, right? You would get laughed out of that department so fast, right? But in the small business world, when you do that, you're a trusted authority. Even though you, you've done nothing to prove that that model will actually work for the business you're talking about. Does that make sense? It does. And that's, that's actually a huge, um, huge thing. Just kind of share with you a story. I remember when I was first building my business, I just recently, you know, exit strategy this last year. But when I was first, uh, you know, creating it, I remember our tactic was to attract, you know, just a whole bunch of people to our business. 
Uh, and that was a good tactic, but the reality was the strategy. We didn't know what kind of people. We didn't know who. And so we were just spending money and doing paid acquisition. And we had no idea. We, we got you know a lot of people, a lot of leads, but nobody was showing up. Nobody phone called. Nobody closed. And, and you know that, that audience didn't have any money. And so the tactic worked, right? We got the result, but it wasn't the result that we were, we were looking for because the strategy was offline. And I think it's just a really solid point because – and that's why I think it's really awesome that we're kind of diving into this because just like you said, I, I did it a little bit earlier. It was it was interchangeable, but in reality, there are two separate things. So we first have to identify the problem. There are two different strategies uh, and, and, and tactic. There are two different things, excuse me. Yeah. And so now my question is, Ken, when you're looking at something, you're creating a custom strategy, how do business owners and how do you approach that strategic um, kind of mindset and process to be able to implement the right tactic. Yeah. So the easiest way to do this is you understand your customer better. And I know that that sounds kind of like a cop out, but, but if we take a customer centric approach, right, it's going to guide us to the tactic that makes, makes the most sense. So, so for example, if you and I wanted to, um, reach, I don't know, let's say affluent people who had American express cards, right? Who had platinum American express cards. Let's just say that might be a really hard thing to target in a lot of ways, except we know that there are airport lounges, for example, the centurion lounges all over the, the globe. They can only be accessed by people who have those things, right? And so the question then is, okay, if I know where they are, if I know where they spend time, how do I get in front of them during that time spent? Or how do I build a list or gain more data based upon what I already know, right? And so we could say, well, look, people who have these cards, they, they take flights. That's true, right? But, but these airline lounges then might be, okay, can we advertise in those, right? Can I go to the Centurion Lounge and, and put up an ad? Can I go buy their Centurion Lounge login list, right, et cetera? So, so the tactic, the way that you find the right tactic is by understanding the audience, where they spend time, right? And then how, how can I reach them in light of that information? Right, so, so if you want disciples of Tony Robbins, shocker, go, go target Tony Robbins on Facebook, right? Go to a Tony Robbins event. Go stand outside of the next Tony Robbins event, right? We can think of dozens and dozens of ways to target those people in light of this kind of information, right? And it could be anything from ultra high-tech geofencing at a particular conference center on a particular set of days, Right? to SEO around one of his books, to mailers, to any, any number of things, right? We could think of a lot of different ways. The challenge is any of those could work. And you then have to ask, in light of the fact that I can think of dozens of ways, what do I believe is going to have the most likelihood of success, right? And why do I believe? That really is the heart of this, that question. What is going to be easiest for my organization to execute on? And then I always ask, is this sustainable? Right? Because, 
I mean, if you go do, let's say you go do something and you get a thousand clients or a hundred clients from one activity, but you can only do that once a year, right? Is that better or worse than you getting 50 clients every month or every week? Well, it really depends, right? What does that thousand clients do to your organization? If you have a single massive influx, right? What does that do to your cost structure? I mean, there's a lot of concerns and considerations that one has to think through with that. But the heart of it is, where's the customer? Where do they spend time? How do I reach them? And in light of that, what are my capabilities that make this single or this set of ways the most effective way to do it for me? Yeah, and I see where you're coming from because I, you know, I was um, mentoring or coaching, excuse me, one uh, software company is like three million, and the thing was is that their their audience they couldn't dial in their audience. They were getting a lot of you know customers through SEO organic and stuff, which is beautiful. I thought that was amazing, but in order to take them from three million to ten million, you really needed to dial in their audience even further. And what I found very interesting is we've all heard that, and there's this this misconception. I want to talk about this definitely with yourself because. Uh, it's a misconception. It's like, okay, if we niche down too hard, then we, we, we avoid everybody else. But then are we able to scale? Are we able to grow? I'm, I'm worried, right? Is there enough yeah. audience? Is there, is there? And so I think there's a misconception. I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Have yeah. you seen that with some of your industries? Uh, I, because I think that's, that pivots yeah. directly what you're saying. What creates, what campaign can you run that creates the best return on investment that in, the, in, the, in the shortest period of time, right? Instead of having to recreate something like you're saying. Yeah. One of the businesses I own, it's a marriage coaching outfit, okay? High-end marriage coaching. And in that business, we target couples who are 30 days or less from divorce, right? So of all the people who are unhappy in their marriages, right, we're targeting a very narrow subsect. And you know what? There is no end in sight for me targeting that group. There is, this is a very real thing. Business owners are afraid to niche down. I was afraid to niche down, right? I've been there with multiple businesses and multiple times as I get narrower, as I've gotten narrower and narrower and narrower over the years, each time it's kind of scared the hell out of me a little bit. And, And what I would say is you can niche too far or you can run through a niche, right? But that's simply a case for then creating a second one and a third one and a fourth one and a fifth one. We have one client. We started with four audiences. Their acquisition cost was over $400 per client on a thousand dollar product. Okay. We now have 28 audiences and their acquisition cost was $5 and 32 cents. Okay. The idea of the niche is this. It is not adding more people. It is, it is removing people that you were spending money on who would never buy. That's what niching fundamentally is. is it's removing those people. Now, I have a book on, on marketing for financial advisors. And you know what? The concepts in that book are applicable 90% to 90% of people. I hand that book to non-financial advisors all the time and I say, just ignore the financial advisor specific language, but I want you to understand the concept because the concept is universal. That's when when you're niching, what you're not doing is you're not saying, and this is really important, you're not saying, I won't work with you. 
what you are saying is I am not going to spend my money to attract you. That is the fundamental difference, right? There are cases where you're going to niche so far and that you're going to become such a specialist that you will turn away business or you'll refer business out. That is not part and parcel, a necessary requirement of niching. Well, and I think this is so interesting because we've all heard this concept of niching. And so I really want to kind of dial this in because some of the people that I've worked with, and I think you could probably acknowledge this as well, you know, we all start with health, wealth relationships, those big things. And then within health, let's say, imagine we're, we're, we're targeting doctors, right? Well, even within doctors, you can target heart surgeons, you know, orthopedics, you know, chiropractors, all that stuff. So let's imagine we, we just target dentists. Well, imagine even within dentists, there's there's private practice and there's public, right? People that are just in the in the, in the you know, bigger hospitals. Imagine, okay, we, we just target private practice. And within that, individuals that are, you know, quarter of a million to half a million that want to scale a million dollar in, in their private practice. Okay, wonderful. And what I've discovered, and I like to talk a little bit about this, is even within, now we've targeted niche specific, right? We're just talking to, because now all of our copy and video and everything like that can be, hey, are you a dentist that struggle with, you know, you're doing a half a million, you want to, you know, scale a million? Like that's how specific, just like you were saying. Yeah. So now you dial that in. I think even within that niche, there's three categories. One, that individuals that really don't want to grow, right? You know, and they're, they're a problem, like, okay, I really don't care. Two, they are aware that they want to grow, but they don't know how. And there's three that are actually very uh, active and looking, right? And I think that's a lot of search platforms, search engine optimization, people that are searching specifically, they're in pain and they want it now. Now, I'm curious, Ken, with your marketing capabilities, right? You, you got to create a marketing strategy, but it was really dependent upon where they're at. Some people may not be, I'm ready to take action now, right? Some people just need to be more information gathering and stuff like that. Some people may, uh, may need to be more of, hey, I, I don't even know that this is a solution. I didn't know I could create leads online and stuff like that, right? So I just imagine um, like that that's the issue. So I'm curious, Ken, when you're creating a marketing strategy with, uh, with a company, and yeah. like you were just saying earlier on, how do I create the biggest campaign or biggest yeah. return on investment active? Um, I'd love to get your response on, on yeah. you know, what, what have you seen in, in, in you know, working with so many companies you've worked with? Yeah. We, we call this, well, there's actually a concept here uh, that we call the other nine. Okay. When you market, typically, somewhere around one out of 10 people who becomes a lead is a lay down sale. Very common, right? And most businesses, what they do with their marketing is they harvest that one out of 10 and they ignore the other nine. That other nine are qualified, potentially, although they may not be qualified today, but they have the potential to be qualified. They may not be ready for other reasons, right? Financially, where they're at, where their ambition takes them, et cetera. And so we simply believe in nurturing those people, right? This is the case for business nurture, right? We've all heard the phrase, the fortune is in the follow-up. Very few people that I talk to, that I interact with, really dig deep into understanding, well, what does that mean for me, right? What that means is if we took all those dentists and we put them all onto one giant list, I, I'm going to with my initial offer, I'm gonna extract maybe 10% of them at most, maybe 5% of them who raise their hand and say, I'm ready to go now. Yes, absolutely, let's move. There's gonna be maybe 30% of those remaining 
right? So we've taken out, let's say 10%, we've got 30, 90% remaining. 30% of those people may say yes, right? In the next, let's say 30 days to 90 days, right? They're relatively warm. This is a pertinent issue, but they have something else more pressing, right? Uh, I was just talking with someone recently. He said to me, you know, Ken, this is exactly what I need. Uh, my mother-in-law is in the hospital right now. Uh, we're a little uncertain with what's going on with that. Um, I'm not ready to go right now because of my family situation. Okay. Right. It's not about me. It's about him. Right. What should I do? Should I ignore him until he comes back to me? No, I should nurture him. I should provide value to him. That is not um, obnoxious. Right. However you choose to define that. Right. If you're Grant Cardone, you're going to define that very differently than if you're maybe a normal human being, right? Um, and, and so you interact with them in a nurturing way. You've got then, then other people who maybe they're a little bit colder. Maybe you're talking about this idea of, hey, you could add another five, you know, half a million, five million to your practice. And they say to themselves, maybe some practices could, but you don't understand my situation, Right. And these guys are going to take more and more information to get to that point, right? And you've got kind of the, and, and that's really the people who are going to buy in, in the six month to two year time frame. Okay. That's 60% of people. Uh, Clayton Mask, who's the founder of Infusionsoft, he says it this way, the last 30%, that last third, no one has any idea why they're on anybody's list because they're never going to buy, Right. The problem is this. I had a friend in Iraq uh, who was uh, uh, in the army. He was in Iraq five times, deployed five times. And I asked him, you know, what's it like? How do you deal with this? And he said, you know, Ken, the biggest problem is not that everybody is a terrorist, right? The biggest problem is not that everybody wants to kill me. If everybody wanted to kill me, I could deal with that. The problem is anybody could want to kill me. And I don't know which is which. And that's why this is so stressful. That's why this is so hard because I just don't know, right? If we had, if we all had colored uniforms on, it was shoot those guys. They're shooting us. Very easy, right? That's much like our marketing lists. That's much like what we deal with as business owners. We've got these other categories in our databases, in our businesses, in our relationships. We just don't necessarily know in most cases who is where. And so what I do is I say, look, let's hope and act like everybody is in this short-term piece, that 90 days or less piece, but let's be prepared for it to take two years, right? And certain industries like, like IT, where they've signed five-year contracts, it may be that that's a five-year cycle and that you need to have nurture prepared for four and a half to five years in some cases to win that business. But realize why we're talking about this, okay? I don't want to just talk about the function, but I want to talk about the why. If you and I spend a dollar a lead, right? A dollar a person to get them on our list, right? And we go sell one of those 10, what's our acquisition cost? 10 bucks. 10 bucks, right? What happens if we go get two of those people in the 
90 day camp and now we've sold three people. What's our acquisition cost? Three divided by 10. We still got 10. $3 and 33 cents, right? What happens if we then go sell two people in that longer term camp, right? Now my acquisition cost is $2, right? I just, by having a structured nurture program, not only for the same amount of money did I get four additional clients, four times the number of clients, but I reduced my acquisition cost by five times. That's right. huge. That, I love that. I love those different strategies. So let's kind of dive in a little bit deeper, okay? Because that's, yeah. that's gold in what you just mentioned. So now that you know, okay, hey, these nurturing processes, how do you nurture in, in, in with marketing? And a few strategies, obviously, email, SMS, as well as, you know, retargeting on Facebook and YouTube. But yeah. then the call to action could be different, right? It doesn't always have to be, hey, schedule a phone call, buy this, right? It could be, hey, here's a training, here's information, here's something free. Yeah. Uh, but tell me a little bit more of strategies that yeah. you use to nurture them long term that are relatively inexpensive, but have a really good return on investment. So the method right? When you say SMS, email, Facebook, etc., right? All of that, it, it, it's not even the tactic, it's simply the where. The tactical piece here is to what? The strategic piece is, am I going to be an educator? Am I going, am I going to be a thought leader? Am I going to be a higher pressure, right? And, and it's going to be more sales driven? Right? How am I, the, the strategic piece really answers the question how am I positioning myself with this audience? That's the real question. How am I positioning myself? Right? And there are an infinite number of ways you could position yourself based on who you are, what you want, what your goals are, etc. Right? My belief is that good nurture uses any, any and all platforms available from the, from the, email to physical mail to the phone, etc. But what it does is for us, our model is we educate, right? I'm going to provide so much education that if you simply take this education and apply it, you're going to win. And I'm confident in doing that for two reasons. One, the vast majority of people are unwilling to execute, right? I mean, look, man, you're a guy who, who has one of the craziest guarantees I've ever seen, right? If I can't add half a million dollars to your bottom line, your bottom line, not your top line, your bottom line, your net, okay? If I can't do that, I'll pay you double what you paid me, right? That's one hell of a guarantee. The reality there is... You can, that, that, that positioning piece position push, pushes you into a prospect's mind to own a certain space and to own a certain piece, right? When you're educating, you can own multiple pieces over time, right? Or you can own a really big piece over time, right? It's not the only way, but, but it is a common and easy way if people are willing to wait. 
right? If, if you've got a business that's designed to say, look, I've got to have cash flow tomorrow, right? We've got to have something a little more pressure, right? We've got to extract a little bit harder, a little bit faster, et cetera. I've got a, I've got a guy that we worked with. He's a financial advisor in Houston. His long-term nurture averages seven years. He gets people on the, his list when they're 55, okay? He extracts them when they're about 62 on average. He extracts them on average for $2 million, which a standard advisor's AUM, that's uh, $10,000 per year per million. So it's $20,000 per year that he's making off of that, right? But that's because he's got a business that's designed, right? And has the longevity to, to manage that. And so, so there are concerns that you've got to really think about, which is cash flow. How long can I go? Right, other things, but but I think education is a really, really common, easy, great starting point for people. Right? Um, it was it was I, I was I was uh, fortunate enough to be on a panel last week with uh, Ben Gay the Third. I don't know if you know who that is or not. I imagine you do. He uh, he was the guy who hired for Napoleon Hill, Bob Proctor, and Zig Ziglar. He was the guy who taught Zig Ziglar the concept of people buy from those they know, like, and trust. Okay. If they, if your prospects don't know you, they don't like you, they don't trust you, you've got to be willing to put in the time to get successful. That's why there's so many people who are overnight successes 10 years on because it took a decade for the market to get to know them and for them to get to know how to work the market. And so, so I, I, I'm less inclined to say, here's how, right? We do uh, silly things like this, where we'll send out like cards for National Cake Day. We sent this out with two slices of cake to all the people on our warm list, right? Our partners, our clients, people who wanted to become clients, et cetera, right? Physical mail, but we send out email every week. We have uh, roundtable events every other week. So, so there's a lot of different things that you can do, right? My, my general advice is, is multi-channel, don't do just one thing, but the key to this is you're creating a relationship, right? And, and so think of it like this, man. If, if I came back to you, Christian, and I said, look, man, how do you date people, right? Do you, do you date them one night and then just say, hey, let's get married tomorrow? Or do you have to do some things in that in-between stage? Right. Same concept here. And I love that strategy because I, and I think this is so imperative because I do and this direct response marketing where it's like, Hey, you know what? I, I want a very direct response. Boom. Here's the result. Boom. And, and that close ratio could be like a one day close kind of thing. Right. Yep. You know? Uh, and, and I think there's, you know, if you're at the beginning stages, I think you can scale really a business to a million, you know, $2 million with that. Hey, here's this audience. They're in a pain. They're in hurt. It's, it's very direct. Like you said, very call. Hey, we're closing these suckers. Right. Then there's also, like you said, long-term, which is, I think is more brand management as well. It's not just, Hey, I'm, you know, closing these people and we're constantly having to hustle and turn. Uh, you know, numbers or whatever, it's more brand awareness, which is like you were saying, but in that long term game. And that's what I love about, you know, getting someone on like yourself talking about that because we are emotional creatures. And a lot of business owners, we need money now. We need, you know, like some of us maybe, you know, having a business while we're, you know, uh, have a job or maybe we're going all in and we need money to keep everything afloat, right? Uh, which is not a good spot to be in. 
And so the thing is, though, is if you're in a situation where you can withstand like that one guy, I think it's interesting because, like, you know, he had a seven year gap. Well, if you think about when he first started, he probably had like this. Uh, does, is this going to work? I'm not sure. I, you know, all those thoughts, right? Those basic mindset thoughts. But he's like, I'm going to keep with the plan for seven years because on the seventh year, all of a sudden now, now he's got a pipeline, right? And you just constantly have to, you know, um, you know, run that yeah. pipeline. And I think that's really interesting because uh, it really helps you switch that mindset from that short term to, oh, we got to hustle. We got to move. We got to pay to acquisition. Boom. We got return on ad spend. And instead of thinking, of, you know, like return on ad spend within the next, you know, 90 days or 60 days, it's, hey, long term, hey, these these nurturing processes, because that is where you really scale from three million to really, you know, 40, 50, 70, 100 million dollars because there's that massive, massive population. So um, I'd love to get your response on that. You know, here's what's interesting. This guy's business, as I think about it, he was a third-generation financial advisor. The way his grandfather ran that business was no doubt radically different, right? No doubt. Different market, different, different, all kinds of stuff. And so, so there are businesses that have the luxury of long-term. Right? I, I, don't, I don't know if you like wine. I love wine. Um, I, I, I live in, in Oregon wine country. Uh, literally within half an hour of me, there's something like four, 300 wineries. I mean, it's crazy. Tons. Wineries and vineyards. Most of them are very new. And so what that means is the price per bottle is very high and the wine is relatively young. There's a, a, a well-known winery in Spain, uh, Lopez de Heredia. They've been around for 500, 600 years. Uh, I, I, my business partner, David, he, was, he, uh, he also loves wine. He has a photo from when they were in Spain not too long ago at this winery. And they have piles of wine from the 1800s. Their current release, current release this year, 2022, is from 2007. Right? They have the ability, because of longevity, to hold and do things that a local winery here that's been around for four years can't do. And so you have to fight with what you have and use the tools at your disposal without being jealous, without being whatever of what other people have, right? And so that's where strategically you have to answer the question, what can I do with where I'm at, right? Uh, I tell the story all the time. You know what Bud Light's annual marketing budget is? What is it? $400 million in the United States. $400 million in the United States. That's more than a dollar for every man, woman, and child in this country. Okay? If your strategy, the way you're going to approach marketing is similar to Bud Light, but your budget is $10,000, $20,000, dollars a year, $100,000 a year, $400,000 a year, right? There's a big problem here, right? They have, they have more than a dollar for every, every American. You have a penny for every American, right? And so what that necessitates is I have to contract who, and this goes back to the niching. Why you niche is because my ad spend only allows me to go this far because I'm not Bud Light who can do this. And so I have to be careful and choose who's in this circle because waste is the enemy of business.
Waste is the enemy of success. You're exactly right. And that's just, it just proves the point of what you just said is niching down. That's why it's so important. And even with your copy, with your video, with your, you know, uh, keeping it very um, congruent throughout your whole sales funnel, sales process, and even nurturing. It's, hey, this is who I help. I work with dentists that, you know, struggle with blah, blah, blah. And hey, how do you do that? And answering and creating videos to, you know, obviously answer those questions and then obviously nurture them, nurtures them over a long period of time. Uh, I, I just really, really great content. I love this. So let's kind of pivot a little bit as well as um, because I think this is this is very important because obviously I've I've dealt with marketing teams and I've worked with you know larger companies and so forth and sometimes there's there's a point where marketers they love to get very micro right oh we got to track this we got to track this we got to track this where's this coming from what what lead right and using all these systems and so forth what would you say is really the base level necessary to grow a company and is it really relevant to track everything or is it because i do know data is is king yeah. so what would you say i am a metrics freak i love metrics okay that said i recognize that there is a cost to metrics okay getting certain data is expensive okay to that end as a marketer i look at one number above everything else and that is, what is my acquisition cost, right? And, and, and the way you could think of that is, for every dollar that I spend, how many dollars do I get back, right? We can then kind of go to the next level and say, okay, we've got comparative metrics that say, hey, you're running ads on Google, Facebook, and TikTok, right? I need to compare which of those is best. I need to compare and say, which of the three should I dump? Which of the three should I increase my investment in? So you've got comparative metrics, which are things like lead to sale ratio, right? Uh, we, I really like looking at, at uh, referral velocity, okay? Which I know is kind of an, an obscure number, but saying, hey, and this is really important, especially for those businesses who say, I work off of referrals, great. For every client that you get in, how many referrals do you get? Because that gives you predictive power, right? If you know that for every customer you get in, you get half a referral that becomes a client, well, I gotta get two customers, get one additional customer. Buy two, get one free kind of a thing, right? The other, you know, and as that circle expands, I look at things like payback rate, right? When I spend money, how fast does it come back to my business? Right? Again, that's a harder number to track. Right? But it, look, if, if you're spending a lot, you better know. Because otherwise you're going to run out of cash and then you're going to be up a creek. Right? We don't want to be up a creek. Uh, I, I really believe that there are some very basic frameworks that you can put together to look at these kinds of numbers. Lead, lead cost, lead to sale ratio, etc. The number that I, I'm going to push back against is customer lifetime value. I know a lot of marketers love customer lifetime value, right? The challenge for me with customer lifetime value is that for most small businesses, that number needs to be at least three years old, okay? Because if I'm telling you one year customer spend, it's not really my customer lifetime value, right? That's just one year customer spend. So, so let's say we go three, five years. 
tell me something as a small business, does what happened five years ago have any predictive power as to what's going to happen tomorrow for you? Heck no. No, I would say, I would say absolutely not. And, and, and people thought that it did. And then COVID reminded them that it didn't. Right. In the last five years, how many times have you reinvented your business? Pivoting right? all the time, pivoting, pivoting all, the, all time. the time. Yep. Right. In the last five years, I went from uh, five years ago, we had a 12 man marketing agency. We then went to a three man consulting agency to now we do pure licensing. We don't even do consulting anymore. Right. That's just in five years. So if I'm looking at a five year run rate, what the heck does that have to do with what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm not even serving the same customer anymore. And so I think we've got to be really careful about investing and getting certain numbers that are going to have very little value to the business. And so, so here's the big thing. When you're building and developing your KPIs, key performance indicators, uh, those metrics that you are going to look at, I, I really ask, how will knowing this impact my decision-making, my decision quality, and what does it cost for me to get that number? Right. In some cases, you know, like acquisition cost, it's an expensive number to get because for most businesses, they're running gap based accounting. Right. GAP, generally accepted accounting principles. And the problem with gap based accounting is it's really not set up to give you acquisition cost on a single uh, number, right, on a single channel. So you've got to really rebuild and have a more custom accounting model to even get an accurate number, which is why ROAS is such a popular number. Uh, with marketing marketers is because it's a hell of a lot easier, even though it's far less predictive and has far less value in my opinion. Uh, and so, so you've just got, you've got to weigh that as an owner and say, what am I going to invest in? And what am I getting by knowing this data? What does knowing this actually get me at the end of the day? You know, so you can go out and buy a product like wicked reports, right? If you're not familiar, they are a absolutely top tier number one, marketing uh, attribution software. And you know what? It's expensive, right? It's really expensive. But, for the, I, and I only use it for one of my businesses, but I know to the penny, to the penny, what we make, what we spend. And in that business, I spend a lot on advertising. I spend over $100,000 a year on advertising. So it behooves me to really know, okay, how effective is this? Because if I can increase my effectiveness by 10%, right, I'm making a lot more. And so it pays back my investment. That's kind of how I look at all this. No, that does make sense. And I'm glad we're diving into this because, you know, like I mentioned, I, I've, I've dealt with companies that want to microanalyze every aspect. And there yeah. is there is there's validity to that, but there's also, it becomes so inundated. It's like, okay, well, let's focus on the things that obviously are producing the best results. And and let's be honest, when you hit that, when you hit high high six figures, you could basically run one traffic and track, tra you know, uh, track that, you know, through metrics. Uh, but if you're, if you're hitting three, five, seven, 10, you know, and obviously scaling to 30, 40 million, you know, you're going to be using a lot of different, you know, like you said, attributions, you know, is it SEO? Is it through this, this process? Is it through this? Um, and, and I think it's like you said, as a, as a CEO and business owner, it's good to have those metrics high level. Um, but like you said, it's it's also at what point becomes almost too much. Now I do know a lot of the CRM systems they basically integrate that process for you through their you know uh, URL tracking and stuff like that, which is also very nice. 
However, though, let's imagine there's a company that's out there doing maybe $1.1 million, which you definitely can in today's world, yeah. and they don't have all that tracking. Yeah. Um, yeah. At what point should they start tracking all that, right? Um, and, you know, where, where should they start if, if they want to start implementing those, those metrics? Yeah. Um, I, I really think they've got to start with acquisition cost by channel. They've got to look at lead to sale ratio by channel, right? And they, they need to look at referral velocity by channel. Those are the three that I would start with if I'm in that, that position, right? If they're not spending more than let's say five to $7,000 a month on ads, if they're above five to 7,000 a month on ads, something like a Wicked Reports or a lower end tool like Hyros, et cetera, is going to be, in my opinion, a good investment because it's gonna drive a better return on your ad spend. Yeah, you're gonna spend you know, two to six, seven, eight hundred bucks on it, but you're going to make more than that from better ad performance. And that's going to then give you a number of additional metrics. The, the challenge is not what metrics, the, the real challenge there is, is for that business, well, what are the things that you need to know in order to make decisions, right? And so it's, it, this is a harder question to answer in the abstract because we don't know what the scope of decisions they need to make are, right? Are they trying Are they trying to aggressively scale? And by that, I mean, they're trying to do two to 300% growth in the next year. Well, you better have some really good attribution because you've got to really have a tight rein on every dollar you're spending to hit those kinds of numbers. Are they going for a, a slower growth model, right? Where they're trying to grow 50 to 100%. Well, there's going to be a lot more that you can have some wiggle room on, right? We also have to consider a number of operational metrics. And I know that sounds weird coming from a marketer, right? But but think about how many businesses, Christian, have you been a part of that if we went and dropped a hundred or a thousand customers in, it would absolutely destroy them? Oh, it's it's remarkable. Yeah, they all want more customers, but Lord and mercy, they can't even you know work work with it with the fulfillment of the back end, correct? Right, and so. So that's where certain metrics are, well, what, what is our capacity, right? Capacity is a critical issue. Like in, in our business with licensing, we're constantly discussing capacity. How many can we take on this week, right? If we do eight this week, what does that mean for the next month, right? What does that mean for our onboardings? What does that mean for our, our business cadences, et cetera, and, and so forth, right? For our, our marriage coaching business, Hey, I know in that business that I can take on 10 customers a week with no deleterious effect to the business. I don't need to hire staff. I've got the capacity. I've got the systems. They're built. They're ready to go. We just need to sell. Right. And so it's figuring out for your business, what's your capacity? How do you monitor your capacity, your capacity status? And then in light of the channels that you're using, because again, if we're talking direct mail versus online ads versus SEO, there's going to be different metrics that we look at, right? Which of those are critical for you to make, uh, for you to have to make quality decisions around that channel itself, i.e. stop and start, right? As well as, is, are there pivots within that channel you should be considering? So, so let's say, for example, I'm running ads in five different newspapers. Is it possible that only one of those five I need to dump? Well, yeah, but I better know which of my five is performing and how well in comparison to one another. And so those comparative metrics, absolutely critical. 
That's remarkable. That's that's awesome. I'm glad we're getting, diving into this because I do agree that data is everything, and that's how you're able to really make, uh, you know, like you said, strategic decisions to make sure you're getting, you know, optimal results. Um, so, let me ask you this as well, um, because you've mentioned this numerous times, um, and and I've I've dealt with this with a lot of my clients. So a lot of people have their marketing strategy up and running. They got sales, and we always want more cold leads, right? We always want more leads, more leads. But you've mentioned referral velocity quite a bit. And I've realized a lot of companies that I've worked with, and probably you, you probably as well, they don't have any referral system implemented, right? Hey, you got a sexy lead. Okay, wonderful. You've been able to help them create, generate some great results because you guys are good. That's awesome. But you don't optimize that a little bit. First of all, I think we don't really need to emphasize the importance of it, but really explaining why, um, how to implement a system around that to yeah. basically optimize it. Because we understand that cost to acquire customer through referral is basically zero, right? Um, depending upon your referral system and so forth. But yeah. I'd love to kind of talk a little bit like what 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 uh, systems have you been able to help implement yeah. for these, these businesses? So, so the, first, the, the first is the most basic one. How do we ask for referrals? Okay. How do we track referrals? Now, and, and here's one of the problems with this. People treat referrals as if it's not a marketing channel. If you put the same effort, like really think about this for a second. If you put the same level of effort into referrals as a marketing channel as you do Facebook ads or SEO or content marketing, what would happen in that channel? It would get better, right? Explode. Yeah. It would explode. And, and that's the thing is for too long, referrals or word of mouth has been allowed to just happen. That's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's stupid. You need to control that like you control any, like, would you ever, could you imagine someone coming to you and say, and they say, well, tell me about your Facebook ads. I don't know. They just kind of happen. You'd look at them like they were an idiot because they would be. Yeah. And, and politely, if your referrals are just happening, you're kind of an idiot. You're taking <laughs> the most valuable uh, source of new customers the easiest, the, and, and in many cases, the people who will spend the most, the fastest, because there's already trust built. There's already credibility established. And you're wasting it. Right? If an outside CEO, if you were the outside CEO of a company, right, and you're coming in to do an audit, and you see that that's being wasted, you fire that guy. And you say, what's wrong with you? How, how dare you miss something so simple, so basic? And so I hear all the time, all the time, well, our business grows and works mainly off of referrals. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that, right? And so I started asking this question about six years ago. And I, and I want you to consider it for yourself uh, as, as you're listening, but Chris, maybe you, uh, Chris, Christian, maybe you and I can talk about it. I asked this question. Tell me what the systematic documented plan is for extracting referrals from every customer. I want to go through this question just to make sure that y'all didn't miss it. Systematic, i.e. it's not reliant on a person, but it's programmatic. It happens consistently, right? It's a system. It is not occasional. Documented, it's written down, right? We can review it because if it's not written down, how difficult is it to improve a process that you can't see? Very difficult. 
right? It's also very difficult to manage somebody against the process that you haven't written down and trained them to. Plan. We've actually sat, sat down and thought and spent real mental energy on what we think is going to work, why we think it's going to work, and how we think it's going to position uh, and have secondary effects on our business, right? I imagine, Christian, you've sat down with a financial advisor at some point, and they've slid a piece of paper across the table to you, and they've said, hey, can you write down five names of people you know that I might talk to? Right? I imagine that's happened to you. 100%. Beautiful you, referral system. You know, you know what names I write down? The five people I like least. I never give them my five best names. You know why? They haven't earned my five best names. They haven't earned them. So they've got a system, but they've never bothered to improve it. And they've never bothered to say, how does my client perceive this? How does my prospect perceive this? Right? Does this cause me to build or lose trust? Right? How am I withdrawing relational capital in this action? Okay. So then, how do we extract referrals? I.e., it's not hey, I'll refer someone to you, but we're actually pulling it out of people, right? And from every customer. It's not some customers. It's not most customers. It's not my best customers. It's every customer, okay? And I, and I want to give you just, just a snippet of one of the things that we have found, because I know that you asked this and I want to answer it directly. What, what is it that we found that worked really well? Those people that you have personal connection with, Go to them and ask the following question exactly this way. Very important. Don't deviate the wording. We've tested, we tested the wording for more than three years. This wording is important. Hey, so-and-so, whatever their name is, would you do me a personal favor and XYZ, record a testimonial video for you, leave a review online for Google, introduce me to this person. It must be specific and the phrasing of Will you do me a personal favor? Is very different than will you help my business out? Will you help me out? Etc. And so, so if you want more referrals in your business, ask for them, ask for them personally, and ask very specifically for what you want. That is really golden. That is massive because I think that is revolutionary because we do not hear it that often. And I think, you know, um, because one, it's, it's, I'd rather, I don't know if it's a mindset switch or misconception. I'd rather, you know, work with people that really don't know me and don't care for me. But the reality is that your business can explode massively through, hey, creating a massive result for someone, which obviously most companies do and, and, and our listeners do. And then obviously attracting just what you said, implementing that systematic uh, referral system that really just explodes your business. Because then all of a sudden, I mean, now let me ask you this as well. But do you incentivize it at all? Do you have any incentive or do you, do you say, yeah. hey, you know what, if we close them, we'll, we'll give you 15% or do you not? Because some people. Great question. Um, Great question. I, I want you to imagine, Christian, that your best friend, I, I hope he lives local, right? He calls you up an hour from now. And he says, hey, Christian, man, it's been a rough day. I need you to come to my house right now and help me move. What happens? You show up? 100%. My best friend. Yeah, let's do this. Okay. You're there, you help him move. You do the thing. 
everybody hates moving, by the way. No, I use this as an example because there's nobody on the face of this planet who's like, you know what I love doing? I love helping people move, okay? You get done moving this guy, right? You've worked, you're tired, and now this is what I want you to picture. He puts his hand in, the, in his back pocket and he pulls out his wallet. And he pulls out two $300 bills. He hands them to you. How do you feel right now? Unexpected. That was nice, yeah. Was it nice? Your best friend thought that he had to pay you to get you to help him. Does that really feel nice? No, you want to get no, man. That's all right. Don't don't worry about it. I right. came over here to help you, man. Right. There there is relational currency. Okay. Relational currency says in this relationship, this is how we pay each other. Okay. When I ask you for a personal favor, when I ask you to do something for me personally, if I give you cash for it, I'm typically violating a, a very well-established American social norm. Okay. And for most people, when I ask this question this way, they have a visceral reaction of how dare my best friend try to pay me. That's kind of offensive. You pay a moving company, you don't pay me your friend. Right? And here's what's interesting. If he were to take those same $300 bills and you and him were to go out and buy drinks and dinner and go to a nice place and enjoy yourselves, you would have no problem letting him pay. Right? Because that's an appropriate piece of relational capital that you can spend, right? And so, so think very carefully about how you incentivize. By and large, I, I, have, I have someone that we've done business with for about eight years. She runs a business operations consulting firm, top tier. We've done hundreds of thousands of dollars of business together. We have never paid each other more than going out to lunch together or going out to dinner together. Right? Because I'm not helping her for the money. I'm helping her because she's my friend. Right? And if she were to pay me, she's not, we're not acting as friends anymore. Right? It changes the nature of the relationship. And so you have to decide. What are your clients? Are they friends? Are they business partners who you have to pay? Okay. There's no right or wrong answer here, but you are defining a culture for your business in your answer here. My personal bias is I don't pay anybody. I, I, I would much rather go and spend $500, $1,000 on a beautiful gift, something deeply personal and meaningful, then give you $1,000 cash. Right? Can, I, mean, I mean, really think about this. Imagine that it's Christmas morning and your wife or your girlfriend has this beautiful box for you. You open it up and inside is cash. Right? Might be $1,000, $2,000, $5,000. You look at it and you're like, wait, what? I think you missed the point, right? Because, because the way that we acknowledge people supporting us 
mattered. It matters as to the nature of that relationship. And so cash can be used, but cash being used is typically one of a very narrow type of relationship. Well, this is really good content, man. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, it, it was one of my limiting beliefs because I always had referral systems around more of incentivizing, hey, you get you know 20% or 15% or 10% of that, whatever the close ratio is, whatever we would spend on ad advertisement, right? Uh, and I, I find this very interesting because it's a different approach and you have to ask yourself, hey, are, are you going to treat them as friends or are you going to treat them as just clients? And then when you treat them as friends, it's, it's more personable. Uh, and you know, I, I would imagine that's just so yeah, it's just uh, interesting, really, really valuable, uh, yeah. valuable information. I really appreciate that. And really, I, I can tell that you've been able to help a lot of business owners really develop a good systematic approach regarding this, because uh, again, I think it's an undervalued opportunity um, that I've seen. And I think you, you know, definitely when you build a, a system around it, it's like, boom, you can really scale tremendously. You can acquire another 30, 40 clients, you know, 10,000 a pop. I mean, that's, that's a good bottom line right there. And um, so- Anyway, so Ken, I really appreciate uh, you being on here and just adding such massive value regarding the marketing side, as well as just, you know, uh, explain the difference between tactic versus, you know, strategic. Uh, so I'd love to, uh, before we let you go, um, though, is there any, uh, where, where can they reach out to you, my man? Yeah, absolutely. You know, connect with me on LinkedIn. That's a great way. Uh, uh, on LinkedIn, it's uh, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Kendall, K-E-N-D-E-L-L cook. Um, you can also go to thepreparedgroup.com, connect with us there. Uh, if you're an agency owner, we have an agency owner's book club. We meet every other week. Uh, we send out audio book summaries, really well done. They're video, whole nine yards. Uh, we send those out every Monday morning. Uh, and, and you can jump on that by going to thepreparedgroup.com forward slash books. That's awesome. And guys, those links will actually be in the description below. So make sure you click on that. Make sure you connect with this guy, uh, Ken, because he, he obviously knows what he's talking about. And obviously he is his business partner as well. So very excited. Uh, Ken, before we let you go, again, I just want to say thank you for the value that you brought to us and our audience. I've been taking notes like crazy over here. And I've definitely re-listened to this because I want to really uh, maximize that referral side of things. Uh, but Ken, is there any last words that you'd like to share with our audience before we let you go, bud? You know, here's what I tell everybody. Success is really about starting with a plan, right? Uh, I believe it was uh, in the Art of War where it said, the general who makes many plans wins. If you're going through your business and you don't have a plan and you're just winging it, I would just encourage you to figure out a way to spend some time working on your business, planning on your business, rather than just working in it day to day. You, you're, the difference it's gonna make for you, drastic. And that, my friends, is my friend, Ken Hook. Guys, this is Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Make sure you like, share, friend, you know, share this with all your friends and so forth. But remember, always be uncommon if you can. Thanks for tuning in.